Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 37, verses 1 through 17. It should be found on page 872 in your pew Bibles. Um, Talk about living differently than the rest of the world. Psalm 37 sure has a lot to say about that. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made, and we thank you for your word, and we pray that this morning you would help us to hear your word for real. Jesus will say to, to you who are listening, I say, Lord, help us to be those who are listening. Again, he says, let those who have ears hear. Let us be those who hear. Now, but we pray that uh, we would hear and listen to your word today, not merely to increase our knowledge, but that by your word and by your spirit, you would change our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 37 of David. Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. Better the little that the righteous have than the wealth of many wicked. For the power of the wicked will be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Turning into Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 38. Jesus teaching to a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon. And in this teaching, he says, starting in verse 27, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. 
Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That is certainly not the words of this world, but it is the word of the Lord. This morning, as we come to Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 22, we are nearing the very, very end of Acts. That's the portion of the book we're going to be looking at this morning. And before we do, I just want to remind you what I'm saying in the children's sermon about different styles of music and how if you're familiar with those styles, uh, you can pick up the differences. But if you're unfamiliar, it all sounds the same. And I would say the same thing applies when it comes to Scripture. And as you are reading through passages in the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with Scripture, a lot of it just sounds like it's the same. Have we not already read this? (laughs) Whereas the more you become familiar with it, the more you see the differences all the way through and how every every part of uh, this Bible has something to say for us even today. And uh, that is unique and different from all the other parts of the Bible, though there are certainly similarities. Uh, With that, let's read Acts chapter 28, verses 11 through 22. We'll talk about it. It says, After three months we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day the south wind came up, and on the following day we reached Putioli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. 
But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. That's where we're going to stop. I know, we're so close to the end, but that's where we're going to (laughs) stop. And there's enough here for us for today. Um, This passage began saying, after three months, we put out to sea. And so we always have to, when you're starting in the middle of a story, you kind of want to know, well, what's been going on there? After three months, from what? Where, where are they? What's going on? And I just jumped you right in there, and we took off. So let's go back and talk about what was going on. Paul had been on an island, the island of Malta, in the Mediterranean Sea for the last three months, and these have been the winter months. This is where they've had to winter. Now, why were they wintering on Malta? It's because when uh, they were at Crete, they had wanted to um, they were wanting to stay there for the winter. And uh, Paul had said, look, if you go any further than this, it's going to be bad news. And they said, yeah, but there's a nicer place up there. We think we'll be fine. So they start trying to go up the island. And it's not fine. And they get blown out to sea, and they spent two weeks in a terrible storm where they can't see the sun by day, they can't see the stars by night. They are just being tossed around. Everyone thinks they're going to die. And eventually, they, um, they crash. And they're right there on the shores of Malta. This is where they end up. If you have a map, you should look this up. It is remarkable how small the island of Malta is compared to all the blue of the Mediterranean around it. That they ended up on this island, which is still... Not too far as far as jumping back on course to, uh, to get to where they're heading, to Rome. So they end up at Malta, but they have no ship. <laughs> they have no ship, no way to get to Rome, and uh, not only that, but now it's not a good time for sailing, and I think they all understand that. <laughs> it's not a good time. So they stay on Malta for three months, and during this time, you recall uh, in the book of Romans, which Paul had written a couple of years earlier, he had said, let's see. There it is. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And that's one I like to throw around at various times. But I think this is something that Paul genuinely believed and is now experiencing again as he is there on Malta, and he's there as a prisoner, sure, as a survivor of a shipwreck, sure, and yet is still there as a missionary. And he's preaching, and he's uh, praying for people, and he's healing people, and for three months this is what goes on. Well, now they uh, move on from there, but even all the things that had happened at this point, God was working them for good. And then, sure enough, they get on another ship that had wintered there. They end up uh, sailing on to Rome. And if you're wanting the geography in your head, you know the the boot of Italy? Uh, Italy looks like a boot. And then you've got the football of Sicily that the boot is kicking. (laughs) Right? They are getting ready to sail right up in between the boot and the football. That's where they're going. They're going to stop off of the football there for a second. And then they're going to head on up uh, kind of to the knee of the boot where, <laughs> uh, where Rome is. And so that's where all the description is. And you say, does it matter? Does it matter that this is where they're sailing? Do we need to know that this is where they're sailing? And I think it is important that we know that this is where they're sailing. 
because we can go back then and verify these places historically. Is, is this the kind of thing that was happening? Do we see these, uh, these sort of roots uh, historically? Because this is Luke who's writing Acts, and he's writing this as an eyewitness and as a historian, as somebody who's trying to communicate, this is what happened. And so when we have these extra details, these are things, when he throws in people's names, when he throws in what uh, date it is, what, who's the leader in charge at this time, when he throws in these uh, place names, where we went here and then we went here and here's how things were, those are things we can go back and we can check up on and say, oh my goodness, believe it or not, <laughs> he was telling the truth. Oh, okay. Well, telling the truth on everything we can check is probably telling the truth on all of it. So I think it is important as it gives us confidence in, um, in this account and in the Word of God. Um, but not our focus today. What we're looking at is the, um, the climax of the story so far, which is in uh, verse 14. So there we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to speak or to spend a week with them, and so we came to Rome. And that sounds like it's just another part of then we went here and then we went here and then we went here. But if you're familiar with the story, this is not a throwaway line. And then we came here and then we came here and then we went to Rome. Like another stop on the journey. This was the goal for so long. This is the destination that Paul had been shooting for even before he went back to Jerusalem. If you read in Romans, he actually writes to the church in Rome and says, I want to come there. Right now I'm heading to Jerusalem. I got to take some gifts there, but then I'm planning to go to Spain and on my way to Spain, I want to come and stop by Rome. But then he got held up first in Jerusalem, then in Caesarea where he spent two years just kind of lingering, waiting for somebody to decide his case. And now he's finally heading to Rome as a prisoner. But this has been the destination. From Acts chapter 1, we're now in 28. In Acts chapter 1, this is what Jesus said to the disciples. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this is what the story has been telling. This is how the message has been spreading. It's been going out. And so we have been waiting as readers all the way through for Paul to get to Rome. And it has looked again and again and again like it wasn't going to happen for a variety of reasons. But we knew from the beginning of the book that this is what was supposed to happen. And we knew from the middle of the book that Jesus has told Paul, you are going to testify about me in Rome. We knew this was going to happen if we believe Jesus. Paul knew this was going to happen if he believes Jesus. And this is where we go back uh, to, once again, what it means to live by faith instead of by sight. That idea of if God says this is what's going to happen, then this is what's going to happen, despite all the evidence to the contrary. And so it's what we've looked at with, um, with Mary. The angel comes and says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, I don't know how it's going to happen, but okay. Or when uh, God comes to Abraham, all those years before, and says, I know you're old. I know your wife is old. You haven't had any children, but you're going to have a baby. And you're, in fact, it's going to go on to produce 
many, many, many descendants. And Abraham is saying, I don't know how, but okay. If that's what you say is going to happen, that's what's going to happen. And this is uh, the same situation Paul has been in. You're going to testify about me in Rome. And we look at all the situations going on on the way there, and we go, I don't think he's going to make it. Except that God said he's going to make it. And so he's going to make it. So when we read this sentence, it's not just another place in the list of places. This is the destination. This has been the goal. They finally have arrived where they've been trying to arrive for so long. Um, And so when he arrives in Rome, that is almost, um, like that is something that should be highlighted and circled exclamation points around it, stars by it as a marker firm that God is faithful. When he says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Um, I'm going to take things out of order. We want to remember, yes, God is faithful. Also, because God is faithful, we also don't need to worry. That's one of the themes we see throughout the Bible. It's one of the things Jesus talks about quite a bit. We see it again in the writings of Paul as well. But here's a situation that I find fascinating. The reason that Paul now has come to Rome, ostensibly, is because he was in such trouble with the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. They tried to kill him in Jerusalem. He had to be sent to Caesarea. They tried to have him sent back so they could kill him. They didn't send him back. And now he's gone on to Rome where he's going to be on trial for his life. So it seems like it's quite a threat uh, to him. And yet he calls together the Jewish leaders when he gets to Rome. This is the first thing he does. I love this. This is the, uh, the pattern we've seen from him everywhere he's gone. Is first thing he does, he gets together with the Jewish people in that area, and starts telling them the good news about Jesus, how Jesus is the fulfillment of all the scriptures that have come before. But he gets these people together, and he starts in with his defense. And again, this is like he's the defendant meeting with his prosecuting attorneys. To just, let me just tell you my side of the story. But the people he starts talking to about all this, verse 21, they replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. What? Like, this has been the the big fight that you're kind of gearing up to have, is how in the world are you going to defend yourself against the people who, I mean, you have been traveling for months now in order for this trial to take place. You were being held for two years in Caesarea waiting for a final verdict and now you finally get to the destination where the trial is going to happen and your prosecuting attorneys are like, yeah, I think they dropped the case. I don't know. There's nothing. Like, oh, that's kind of anticlimactic there, isn't it? <laughs> but I think one of the things we see here is that there are a lot of um, things we worry about that are genuine threats. Threats that we perceive are real and are real. But there are a lot of things we worry about that are perceived threats that are just illusions. There's nothing real behind them at all. And the amount of time we spend worrying about that. Here, Paul is prepared to defend himself against people 
who aren't attacking him anymore. And so, um, again, this is where Paul, in writing to the Philippians, says, do not be anxious about anything, (laughs) but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think this is, uh, is for us as well, but it's where it is shown here. It's, I read some things about this where they said, well, maybe they didn't have uh, any of the accusations yet because it's been a hard winter. It'd be hard to get the letters there in time. I don't buy it. Because if you remember a little bit earlier, when they were actually coming to Rome, there were people who were coming out to meet them. And the places they name there are like 30 and 40 miles outside of Rome. So they don't land. Rome is not right on the coast. They land way earlier, and then they're taking the road up in there. And and there are people coming 30 and 40 miles out of Rome to meet them and then travel with them back into Rome to welcome them to the city. Why are they doing this? Because they know Paul's coming. This is a big deal. (laughs) Word has gotten there that Paul is coming. And so uh, anything accusation-wise would have gotten there as well. It's not said. I suspect what happened instead is that the people in Jerusalem thought Paul was a huge threat to the people in Jerusalem. They wanted him dead. And even when he was in Caesarea, it's still too close. Let's bring him back and kill him. But now that they've gotten him shipped to the other side of the world, now that he's on the other side of the Mediterranean Sea, now that he's hundreds of miles away, that's good enough. (laughs) He's not going to cause us any more problems here. And so they just drop it. And that's kind of the end of it, Uh, which is fascinating, though, to us when we think of uh, that the, the very thing that Paul was shooting for because it would make the most impact was the very thing that they thought if they could just get him there, they didn't have to worry about him anymore. He's no longer a threat. Isn't that amazing? It's almost like when uh, the devil thinks, if I can just get Jesus killed, then he won't be a threat anymore. <laughs> that wouldn't work out for you, right? Finally, go back to the middle. We did the beginning of the passage, the end of the passage. We're going to come back and finish the middle. Uh, <clears throat> what we've said so far is that God is faithful, and he can be trusted. Because of that, we can bring everything to him in prayer. We don't have to worry about things that may not even be real threats. But then we get to the middle. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this is the way that he actually defends himself. Defends himself from the people or when he still thinks that they're going to be bringing these accusations. <clears throat> so he proactively calls them together. And then says to them, my brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem, hand over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. So here's his defense. He explains himself and the background of it, but the only background he's giving is background enough so they understand why he's there, that he's no threat to them, 
And not only is he no threat to them, but he's actually got good news for them. It is because of the hope of Israel that I'm in chains. This has been Paul's pattern everywhere he's gone, whether he's a prisoner or not. He gathers together people, <clears throat> excuse me, especially as he goes as a missionary, get, goes from city to city, gathers together the Jewish people. Why the Jewish people? Because they've already got an advantage in understanding the message and the good news of Jesus. They know the Old Testament. They have the promises of the prophets. This is what Jesus explained to his disciples in uh, Luke 24, on the road to Emmaus. I'm going back there. Um, when he says, he, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And they opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. This has been Paul's pattern as well, is to try to go to the Jewish people who know the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms and show how it all has been about Jesus, how it's all been pointing to Jesus. And now Jesus has come and this is what this means. And this is how this is good news for Jewish people and for the whole world. And what was happening is people were uh, getting upset because they were thinking that he was trying to take people away from Judaism and away from the truth of God revealed in uh, the scriptures and in the temple and in uh, circumcision, the practices of sacrifices, all of these things. And Paul's saying, no, I am not against those things. I am for Jesus, and I am for showing you how all of those things have been pointing towards him and how he is the fulfillment of all of it and how he is now good news for you as Jewish people. He is the hope of Israel. So here's what I want you guys to do this week. Is with this in mind of Paul coming to Rome and being uh, in a position of trying to face these uh, Jewish accusers, he assumes, I want you to go home and read through the book of Romans. He wrote this actually a couple of years before uh, coming to Rome. But I want you to look specifically now for these kinds of things. How is it that Paul is talking about the Jewish people? Does he talk about them as enemies? Does he talk about it as people who uh, we need to get away from those people? He doesn't. In fact, you can hear his heart for the Jewish people really throughout the whole letter. In fact, even in the way he opens the letter. Um, verse 5. I just want to read the whole thing to you. We're not going to do that. It says, through him, this is Jesus he's talking about, through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. You may have missed it. Let me read it again. Through him we received grace and apostleship. Who's the we? 
Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience. If he's set up a distinction between Gentiles, and the other side of that is Jewish people. Paul himself is Jewish, and he is still including himself in that category. And he's saying that this message has come to us as Jewish people. And it is good news for us as Jewish people. But it is good news for not only us, but for the whole world. And it is through us that it is time to go out to the whole world. That's why it says in verse 16, uh, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. In fact, if you go one verse earlier than that, it says, That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. This is what he's been longing for. And now he has this opportunity. And here's the point. Is that Paul is trying to explain to these people who are the prosecuting attorneys in his mind, and yet he's not talking to them as though they are prosecuting attorneys. He's talking to them as though they are people. As though they are people who need the good news as much as he needed the good news. They need to know that God has fulfilled his promises not only to him and bringing him to Rome, but he's fulfilled his promises to the whole world in sending Jesus. And so when Paul has this opportunity to defend himself against these charges, he flips it around. And instead of saying, trying to get himself off the hook, he turns it around on the accusers and says, you guys need Jesus. <laughs> that's, that's what it comes down to. He is himself in danger and yet is loving his enemies. Does that sound familiar? This is what he is uh, free to do because he understands the good news of the gospel. This is what he is free to do because he understands that God is faithful that he doesn't need to worry, but he can have a relationship with the living God where he comes to know him better and better and more and more and come to love him and trust him in everything and then to want the same for others. This is why he wanted to go to Rome. This is what he's doing now that he's in Rome. And this is where it lands for us too. That we don't need to worry because we know that there is a God who is faithful, who's powerful, who can be trusted in everything, and who is good, and who is loving. Paul had a lot of hardships on the way here, on the way to Rome. We're going to have a lot of hardships on our way to where God's bringing us. But we know that he's good, and we know that he's faithful, and he will fulfill his promises beyond that. Not only can we know him, love him, and trust him, but that every opportunity we're in, every opportunity we're in, or that we have, every situation we have is an opportunity to help other people to know him as well. Through our words, through not using words, <laughs> through holding our tongues, 
through our actions, our attitudes, all of it. That this is what we are about, is knowing him, yes, but also making him known in every situation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.